Prologue I want a hero. Lord Byron. Don Juan. Canto the First. Rome. July 1820. She led the way up the stairs to her bedroom, discarding articles of clothing as she went. Marta Fazzi was agile, certainly. Her dark gaze locked with James's, she climbed backward without a misstep. Her teeth gleamed white against her olive skin as she laughingly flung away the mask, the veil, the cloak that concealed a frail excuse for a gown, a flimsy article, little more than an elaborate shift, held together with a few easily untied ribbons and strings. She left the emeralds on, the heavy necklace with its great pendant stone dangling between her breasts, the matching earrings, the bracelet. James paused to ease out of his coat, taking his time. He slung it over his shoulder as he climbed after her, maintaining the pose of mild curiosity he'd used to bait the hook. Accustomed to getting what she wanted, Marta couldn't resist a challenge, and James hadn't to do much acting to become one. Given a choice, he wouldn't have touched her with a barge pole. Since he hadn't a choice, he'd simply let his reluctance show. That, as he'd expected, had piqued her vanity. She was handsome, admittedly. He'd heard that Lord Byron had written a poem about her, not for publication. She was of the type the poet admired. Dark and passionate, she was what he would call a magnificent animal. James was not nearly so enthusiastic about the type. He was thirty-one years old, and Marta was not his first passionate, uninhibited, and sexually talented foreign adventurous. If he survived this encounter, though, she'd be the last. If he didn't survive it, which was equally likely, she'd be the last. Either way I win, he thought. If he failed this mission, he'd die a slow and painful death. He would not be mourned as a hero. No one would know that he'd died trying to save the world. They probably wouldn't even find his body, or what was left of it. For bloody damned king and bloody damned country, he told himself, as the door closed behind him. One last time. He took off his waistcoat and dropped that and his coat over a chair near the door as he continued to advance and she continued to retreat, unerringly, toward the bed. Clearly she knew the way backward and in the dark, though the room wasn't altogether dark. Servants must have readied it shortly before because the candles were lit. They must have expected her to have company because they'd lit only two. These offered light enough to show him her gleaming white teeth as her lips parted. It was light enough to make green fire of the emeralds and rainbow sparks of the small diamonds circling them. Even without light, he'd know where she was. Her perfume filled the room with a too sweet aroma, like decaying roses. She ran her hands over her full firm breasts and down over her hips. She was magnificently formed and knew it. You see, I keep nothing from you, she said. 
I give myself completely. Her speech told him she'd spent most of her life in southern Italy and had had a little, a very little, education. He detected, too, a foreign note, her native Cyprus, no doubt. Though his antecedents, like hers, were mixed, the Italian he spoke, his mother's language, was flawless. Since he'd inherited his mother's black, curling hair and his maternal grandfather's Roman profile, Marta had no inkling that he was not only the son of an English nobleman, but an agent of His Majesty's government. In short, James Cordier was an even greater fraud than this alluring panther. The trick was to make sure she didn't find out. Not quite completely, he said as he unfastened his trousers. The stones are pretty, but your beauty needs no adornment, you know.